Well, if you want to look with me at Romans chapter 1 again. Romans chapter 1, specifically 8 through 17. But I want to read back, beginning in verse 1, just because we're going to recover some of that. Next week I'm going to deal with just 16 and 17 by themselves. So I won't do a lot of exposition on that today. But just as it fits in the context here. Paul, a servant of Christ, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We've been reading it and singing it together. And I pray that now you bless as we teach it. Lord, just um, edify the church and glorify yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul finishes his introduction and moves into the purpose for his letter. Now, I won't do this. I promise all the way through this book, rehash the thing we just talked about. But I think for the beginning, it's important to recall that he has announced the authenticity of his apostleship. As a servant of Jesus Christ, Paul, as doulos we talked about, Paul, servant, slave of Christ. And he also announced and um, put forth for these people to hear that he has been called and set apart as an apostle for the gospel of God. Now, the gospel, I didn't really define it last week, but we all know this is the word in the New Testament where we get 
our word evangelical or evangelism or evangel, the one who preaches. But the word means the good news of God. Some people define it as the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, which is soon to be set up. And God has now revealed through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And notice that Paul says there in those first few verses, this is the gospel and the Savior, which God has promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so not only does he announce up front the authenticity of his message and preaching also as it from it is from God about God. So he wants to make sure that those who hear this and read it or have it read to them know that he is an apostle and he has been chosen or appointed by God to be that, but also to preach. And above that, the message that he preaches has been sent from God. And he says, in fact, this is the God of the Old Testament scriptures. This is the message of the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures. So this gospel preaching and message concerns the Son of God who has been promised and who physically descended through David. Yet spiritually, he was declared the Son of God in power by the Spirit at the resurrection from the dead, at his resurrection. And then he says this, this Jesus is Lord. All the apostles referred to God the Father and God the Son as Lord. Continue to be amazed how many people try to argue that Jesus is never referred to as divine or God in the Scripture. Paul is very clear here. This Jesus is Lord. He's the sovereign. He is the one in charge of everything, the beginning and the end. And he goes on to say that through Jesus the Christ, the Lord, me and the apostles with me, we have received our commission of grace to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. And we talked about this a little last week in detail, this phrase, obedience of faith. Now, some people have translated this to mean, oh, okay, like what James talks about. I'll show you my faith through my works. So the obedience of faith is the things we do. But I think most definitely in the context of chapter 1, in the next four chapters at least, what Paul is referring to in obedience of faith is the justification of sinners. To believe in Christ. Not obedience from the faith or to the faith, but obedience of faith. The requirement of the gospel is belief and repentance, neither of which dead spiritually dead humans can muster up themselves and i try to say this often if you see christ as the son of god the true living god who died on the cross in your place and you believe that he took and paid for your sin and took the wrath of god and you believe that that's a miracle that's a god-given miracle that you believe that and from there he will give you repentance which is sorrow over your sin and cause you to want to turn to God away from your sin. This is what the gospel requires and this is what God gives to his people at some point. That belief in the belief that Jesus is who he claimed to be and did what the scriptures say he did. And I like what he said, the belief that was accomplished 
or what I just said, the belief that was accomplished in your stead for the sake, as Paul says, of his name. The obedience of faith for the glory of his name. Now this will keep us from getting the gospel confused. It's very important that we maintain that the work of Christ was accomplished in your stead, in your place. It was not accomplished for you. It was accomplished for God in your place. I think that's an important little thing that we need to get straight. Too often we say and try to tell the gospel this way. Look at what God did for you. Think of what Jesus did for you. No, what Jesus did, he did for the Father, but he did it in your place. That's different. You see, we want people to feel good, but what we need to make people understand is that you are sinful before a holy, righteous God. But even though you are, listen to what God has done through Christ in your place for his own glory. You see the difference? Suddenly the gospel is not about us. The gospel is about God. But in our place, Jesus died. And Paul says, and this includes you, Romans. At least you Romans who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And that's who we preach to. Those who are called to belong. You say, well, how do we know who those are? We don't. But we preach a message to all who will believe that if you're called to belong, you will believe. And you can believe. That's an amazing thought, is it not? Have you ever thought of yourself in these terms that Paul puts forth in Romans 1? That you've been called to belong to Jesus Christ? Isn't it a great thing to, be, to belong? We've all been in that spot before as kids where we wanted to be picked on a team. We didn't. We wanted to be invited to a party, but we never got invited. We wanted to go places everybody else went. And then all of a sudden somebody invites you or you do get picked. Man, that's awesome to belong. Even if you're the last one and they picked you because there was no choice. They had to pick you, right? But that's not the case here. We are called to belong because God decided in his own sovereign wisdom and grace that you belong. And if you're called to belong, that means you're loved by God. And that means you're called to be his saints. That's a beautiful thing. Wonderful. Wonderful thing. If you ever get down on yourself and times get tough and you begin to wonder, what's it all for? I don't know if I can answer what it's all for, but I can answer this. You've been called to belong to God. That's huge. You've been loved by God and you've been called to be a saint. That just means a holy one. The one set apart. God has set you apart from many who have not been set apart. You say, well, what about works in the Bible? Aren't we supposed to do stuff? Yeah, just think about this. You've been called by God, set apart by him, made holy, adopted into his family. Now go do what he says. That's a lot different than saying, why don't you do what God says and then maybe he'll accept you. It's a totally different idea. The gospel says it's already been done. And if you believe this, then follow Christ. So that's Paul's introduction and then he gets to his purpose. And I love he says here, first, let me say this. Let me just say how thankful I am for you, church, in Rome. And we mentioned last week, 
I've always, in my mind, had this one church pictured. Like, there's a church at Rome. But then I got to thinking, well, that wouldn't make sense. There's got to be a church at Rome. Like many churches. But he refers to it as the church at Rome. And we often refer to it, and these letters probably were dispersed to any churches that they could get them to. Just like the church at Jerusalem or the church at Corinth, there was a church at times specifically that he was writing to, but there were many fellowships of the church, right? And he says here to the believers in Rome, I'm thankful for you. And just a little insight here how, to, how prayer works. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way prayer works, by the way. Because Christ, our high priest, our intercessor, we have a right to go to God because we have one who intercedes for us forever. That's why the whole silly notion of anybody else hearing prayers, answering prayers, is number one, idolatrous, and second, it's just foolish. There's but one who has paid the price to be an intercessor, and it's Jesus Christ. The one that all those Old Testament priests and interceders pointed to. The Christ who is our intercessor. And Paul says he is thankful because the faith of the Roman church is being heralded and proclaimed in all the known world. Now what a wonderful thing to say about not just a single church, but about a church in general, the fellowship of God's people in an area, even if it was said about one single fellowship. He doesn't say, hey, I've heard all about your great music. I've heard about your choir, man, that's awesome. Your youth ministry is exploding and spreading abroad. He doesn't even mention their missions, their ministries, their activities, any of those things. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ that your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Have you ever heard that about a church? Has anybody ever said, have you ever heard of this church, so-and-so? Man, these people believe God. Their faith. Now, Paul no doubt would have had personal acquaintances there. If you remember, he's a Roman citizen. This is where he was born. He probably had family who had been converted and though he traveled much of the Roman Empire, which was quite extensive, and he preached in much of the Roman Empire, at this point he had never made it back to the capital, which is Rome. He'd been in many of the provinces. And this is amazing. He's saying, everywhere I travel, I hear about your faith. And so he starts to commend them and glorify God for what God is doing in Rome, his home among his own people. You know, later on in this book, we'll see how Paul talks about how much he loves his own people. And you remember, he's very unique. He's a Hebrew. He's Jewish. He was a Pharisee. But he was also born in Rome. He's a Roman citizen. Amazing. And he goes on to say, in my prayers, not only... He said, does he thank God for the faith of the Roman church? But he even says, I pray without ceasing, mentioning you in prayer. 
And especially I pray without ceasing that God will see fit to send me back to Rome or send me to Rome. And he's so serious about this, he swears an oath. That's why that phrase means, for God is my witness. This is a swearing of an oath, much like what we do. If you ever have to testify in court, you put your hand on the Bible, I think, if they still do that. You know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's an oath. The way that more of us have taken oaths, we stood in front of a, 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 maybe a church and a preacher and witnesses, and we said, until death do us part, I will do whatever they spell out. I will do A, B, C, and D. That's a, that's a vow. That's an oath. And that's a serious thing. And Paul says, I'm, I'm, I, swear, I swear an oath to you. I do not stop praying for you. Because he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go back and see the work of God among his own people. And notice he says he hopes if he does go, he wants to impart some spiritual gift to them. Now, this is very interesting. And he says, I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. And then Paul helps all of us preachers out. I don't even have to wonder what he's talking about because he explains it. He says, that is, in case you don't understand what I'm saying, that we may be mutually encouraged. I think this is wonderful because too often we're all guilty of thinking of these apostles and these characters in the Bible as some kind of superhumans. Well, these were the spiritual. These were the real Christians. And we still do that, even in our culture. You know, Paul wrote about that in Corinth. They were having that problem. Some worship, some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, some even followed Jesus. And later he'd say, I thank God didn't baptize none of you rascals because I don't know what y'all are doing following. This is not superstar Christianity. This is not a gang. But he says to them here, and this puts it in a great perspective for us. He is an apostle. He has the ability to impart these spiritual gifts. I think one of the things that separates apostles from the church today is that the church has been blessed with gifts, but the apostles could actually give the gifts. They could impart them to others, share them. It's what that word means, to share them. That it would strength, to share these gifts that would strengthen the people. But notice what he says. But also, you will strengthen me. There's no superstar Christianity here. This is an apostle saying, if I could just come to you, I long so much. I swear, if God would just let me come, I could give you these gifts. And in encouraging you, I too will be encouraged. And you have to believe that they probably thought, Somebody like Paul didn't need to be encouraged. Man, they've heard about what he's doing. They've heard about his missionary efforts. But he says to him, one of the reasons I have a desire to come to you, first of all, is that I may impart or share a gift that will strengthen you. And you may strengthen me and encourage me. We will encourage each other. He's talking about just Christian fellowship. Being back with people that he knows and see and hear the testimony of what God's grace has done for them. Much like the times that we get to be together and we talk about things that maybe you don't get to talk about with everybody at work. You talk about, the, as Michael was saying, the nerdy things. 
We try to figure out these things in the Bible, and we like to talk about all the isms and the, uh, the things, the words that end with millennial or ennial. We want to talk about all that stuff, but it's fun to talk with each other because there's safety, and we want to encourage each other. We're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to learn and find out what does this mean. And I think that's basically on, on, on probably a different level than we can maybe understand. Paul is saying, I just want to come and just be with you. And just share the gifts that God has given to me with you. That you may be strengthened to do what you do. But also, I need some encouragement. I need to be strengthened. And he says, I really, I want you to know, I've intended to come. But I've been prevented. He says. I've intended to come. That there may be. Or that I may reap some kind of harvest among you. Just as everywhere else I go among the Gentiles. And again, what kind of harvest? An obedience of faith. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? It is about justification of sinners. And that is the obedience of faith. But the obedience of faith, once it's yours and God gives you that faith, you keep hearing the gospel and it keeps encouraging you to do the works of the gospel. So he says, I want to come there and reap a harvest. Not a harvest of decisions, but a harvest of obedience of faith. And of course, thus far, he's been hindered. And he will be hindered until he finally gets to go to Rome. But when he does, he will be in bonds as a prisoner. But in God's providence, he doesn't go there, so we get this letter. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? This is 2 Peter chapter 1 being lived out, fleshed out for us, where we read that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And not only that, but no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. And here Paul says, I'm praying that the will of God will be that I can come to Rome. But right now the will of God is he doesn't go to Rome because he's producing prophecy through him, preaching the word of God. Because as it says in 2 Peter Men of, holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. This is the one thing, by the way, that separates the Bible from every other religious book on the planet. If you look and study, almost every book that somebody uses for religions, religious purposes was either mysteriously given to them by God, like the Quran. Hey, here's a, here's a book. Go tell people about it. We don't really know where it came from. The Book of Mormon. Hey, if you go dig this hole up in this little hill, there's some secret golden tablets. And then translate them into English. We don't have any of the secret golden tablets. But they have this book that was just there. But what makes the Bible so unique and awesome is that God took holy men, not holy men because they were good, righteous humans, but because he had given them the righteousness of God and made them holy and saints and set them apart, and then he used them in their normal life, in the way that he created them, in their everyday goings and comings, writing letters to places he wanted to be but couldn't go because the will of God had hindered him, and God uses that, born alone by the Spirit, to write what is sacred scripture. It's different than anything else. And yet all these people from 1,500 years, right, brought together writing in all these subjects 
about the one that we talked about in Sunday school, whether you call him the Lion of the tribe of Judah or Shiloh or the Christ or the Messiah. It's all about him, and it comes together in this beautiful, unified 66 books that were written in the same way. Nobody dug them up. Nobody found them secretly. We even have ancient, ancient manuscripts proving that these things have existed for a long, long time. This is an awesome thing. Paul wants to go to Rome, but God won't let him, so this book shows up in our Bible all these years later. And then he returns back to his calling as a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And he says, this, this calling that God has given to me, the King James says, it has caused me to be a debtor. I think the ESV I, I was reading says, and it translates it a little more literally, I'm under obligation. And he says to the Greeks and the barbarians. See, the Greek world was split up into two Groups of people. Where all human all humanity likes to split up. We like to split each other up into all kind of little groups and subgroups. There were the Greeks and then the people that they couldn't stand to be around that they thought were horrible. They were the barbarians. You, you might remember there's Jews and Samaritans and there's Jews and Gentiles and now there's Gentiles and barbarians. And Paul says, "I'm under I'm under obligation. This calling has put me under obligation, not only to come to you, but even the ones that y'all don't want to go to." that I used to look down on too, the barbarians, even the wise and the foolish. And so Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. I used to wonder what that meant. Paul said, I'm a debtor to, to Greeks. Why is he in debt to the Greeks? Why is he in debt to the barbarians? But this makes so much more sense. He's, he, so much more sense. He's under an obligation. And if you put it in the context, he's under the obligation of the obedience in the, in the um, responsibility or the stewardship of this gospel call to obedience of faith. And he has to preach it to whoever. So as I said earlier, who do we preach this to? Whoever will listen. God's going to choose those who are his. That's not up to us. We don't even have to fight about that. I think it's too obvious in Scripture, these doctrines of election and predestination. I don't know why we have to fight over those. We shouldn't even worry about this. It's not our business. It's just the way God has ordained it to happen. Only way it can happen. And so Paul says, I'm eager to go there and preach to those who are in Rome also. Greeks and barbarians. And he says, and the reason is because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's an indication that, hey, I'm willing to even come home where everybody knew me. Everybody knew I was a Pharisee. I was a defender of Judaism, and I hunted those, those down who followed Christ. And I was determined to stamp out what is called the way. But now I'm telling you I'm not ashamed to come back and admit I was wrong. I'm not ashamed to admit that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, not in his preaching of it, but in the gospel is the power of God and not anything else. And if you notice here about four times, he uses the word for, which you could translate because. He says, for it is the power of God. And in it, 
the righteousness of God, not man's righteousness. But he says this, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We'll talk about this more next week, but what does that mean? It basically means this, righteousness begins with faith and ends with faith. And that's the beauty of it again. You didn't do anything. God gave you faith to believe. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why do I believe these things? Have you ever read or heard somebody say, that Christianity is a bunch of fairy tales. Look at all them stories. How do you believe in that? Maybe you think, well, I believe because my mom and dad taught me. My grandma taught me. I always heard it preached. But if you really get down to it and you have to think about, why do I believe in a resurrection? Why do I believe that God can exist as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's one God, not three. It's by faith. It is from faith, beginning in faith, ending in faith. And one day when we see Him, and our eyes behold Him, and we no longer have to hope and believe because our faith will give way to sight, then we'll be able to rejoice over the fact that it was by grace we were saved, through faith, and that not of ourselves. This is an awesome book. Some good stuff in there. I thought I would skip through that, but I decided not to. So I lied, and there's going to be at least three sermons in chapter one, okay? But we'll keep going. I may lie some more before the end, but I'll try not to. I'll try to repent if I do. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your word. What a beautiful thought it is that long ago you put all this in place. You gave us these writings. They've succeeded. They have um, withstood fires, burnings. They withstood human kings who've tried to do away with it and bury it and stamp it out as if it never existed. It's withstood translations, retranslations. It's withstood and survived when it was only told by word of mouth before it was written down. What an amazing thing. And yet, by miraculous reasoning, divine intervention, so many of us believe these things to be absolute truth. And then we know within our soul and heart that they are true. And we thank you for that. And they change our lives. They make us new and different. And they, we know that one day it will change us for good forever and into, the, into what you've created us to be. And we praise you for that. Bless as we take the supper, as we look to Christ in faith. Help us to believe more. And remind us that it was in our place he stood condemned. Though we didn't deserve it, we did. He died for you, the Father, that you might be glorified. We thank you for that. In Jesus we pray. Amen.